No Directions Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plaguestone Pathfinder 2e actual play podcast. Featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Directions own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at RollForCombat.com. No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hi everyone, uh, this is a joke I make at every time that we are on this panel, but my name is Paizo GM, this is Paizo GM, and this is also Paizo GM. <laughs> Welcome to Ask the Paizo GMs. Uh, hi, I'm Luis Loza, I'm one of the Pathfinder developers here, and I'm joined by two lovely people. My name is Liz Liddell, I am the senior editor at Paizo. And I'm Jason Tondro, I'm a Starfinder developer, I work on APs. So, uh, we are here to ask the burning questions you might have as GMs. Ed- to- edit moment. We're here to answer the burning that answer, questions that me. you Sorry. are all asking us. To be asked the questions. <laughs> uh, but just know that when you're asking us these questions, we are not going to be the end-all be-all of answering your, your questions here. You know your players best, you know your game best. We can give you plenty of advice. In fact, there might be some places where we just don't have any advice because we don't have experience with that kind of stuff. Uh, so do with this advice what you will. Just know that it's up to you to fully in- implement it or, or, or decide what you want to do going forward. But hopefully we can help you out a lot. Yeah. But if you're a GM and you have questions about running your game, if you have problems at your table, if you have problem players or anything like that, if you want to get involved with using you know, new technology or anything like yeah. that we're, we're here to try to help you out yeah. so uh, we are also um, we're live on twitch right now so hi everybody out there who's watching us on the interwebs yeah. um, so uh, if you have questions we can answer those too so just put them in the twitch chat and our moderator will help answer those for you yeah so to give people a little bit of time to try to get some questions thought up of and, and get things going on that well i'll ask a question first of each of us to to fill a little bit of time what is uh one of your favorite house rules that you've ever used or, or seen used in a game uh and then we'll go from there all right um my favorite house rule is that i don't roll to confirm critical hits because i hate f- rules that are unfun if you roll a natural 20 it's crit go you Yay. uh i just got finished doing um uh alternate rule for my starfinder campaign mm-hmm. where you can uh, a spellcaster can use the starship's power core to cast spells at starship scale Whoa. So what happens is, is the engineer, the engineer has to um, have power allocated to it. So you have to have like a point of, uh, so you have to have energy from, from the power core. Um, but if you have that, then uh, I went through and I went through the spell list. And I only went up to like second level because that's as far as my players can cast is second sure. level spells. And I picked out spells that I thought would work at starship scale. So a whole person becomes hold starship, right? <laughs> and, starsh- and, and, and reflective armor works on your starship's armor. And so on. Um, and, and I went through and I modified some things. But I was really frustrated by the fact that my players felt like if they were spellcasters, they couldn't really do their main thing sure. at starship level scale, right? I mean, we have a lot of things coming about... We, uh, we've heard this complaint a lot by, by Starfinder players that they, the magic characters don't really have a lot to do. Um, but this was my answer. And, and the players really loved it. Because yeah. they felt like they could be the mystic or they could be the technomancer all, all the time instead of only half the time. That does sound pretty fun. Also, as a note, we're here to a- answer questions for both our Pathfinder and Starfinder, or maybe just even general questions. A lot yeah, of this yeah, yeah. is applicable. Uh, as for some of my favorite house rules, um, uh, a really quick thing I always like to do during first edition Pathfinder is at when you sleep overnight, you normally heal one hit point per level, which is mm. not very useful at first level when you really <laughs> right. need it. So what I would say is whatever your hit die is, D8, D10, you heal that amount, so 8, oh, 10, whatever. Yes. And then at later levels, once you hit 10th level, I mean, that 11 hit points or whatever isn't going to make a big difference. Just use your Wanderer spell or whatever. Uh, but the other thing I like to do early on, because I run ga- uh, games for smaller groups, usually three players, is give out a feat or two for free at early levels like I'll give away like an iron will or great fortitude or like um, improved initiative stuff like that something that isn't necessary for combat or, or for yeah. a, a 
beat chain or anything like that. But that just helps make the players a little stronger. And as time goes on, if I feel like they might need a little bit more help, oh, hey, you get a toughness or things like that mm. for free. Or once I, oh, yeah, they're in a good spot, then they don't get any more free stuff. Okay, you're on your own. And you use that to balance individual characters. So some characters might get it and others won't. No, they all get it, all but get it. but yeah. because it's a smaller party, they kind of oh, need right. that they're extra little get, buff. Yeah. But you can even do that to... One fun thing I did once was as the team worked together based on what their tactics were commonly in combat, I gave them a free teamwork feat mm. that oh, says, oh, you're, you're constantly flanking people. Here, have a flank. That was a mistake. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you can... Be, don't be afraid as a GM to kind of give out free stuff that even though the rules don't say that you get a feat at this level, just give, give, give them some fun stuff. And let, have your players have fun. A lot of this is if you are having fun, that's yeah, really yeah, what you want. If the question is game balance, but everybody has the same advantage, then there's no balance problem. Yep. So. Uh, so the logistics of the questions is because um, we are doing this with uh, some Twitch involvement. We're going to have you go line up in the middle of the room and stand at that microphone. Um, speak into the mic. It will not actually micro uh, microphoneate your voice. I'm an editor. I do words good. Um, but it will get it out onto the stream so people out there know what the heck is going on. So go ahead. Uh, the thing that I struggle with most is probably preparation for sessions. Yeah. Do you guys have tips for organizing or keeping motivated while preparing? Mm. Uh, well, so the first thing I can say is, is, is we hear you. <laughs> like, uh, we, this is part of the motivation behind second edition. Uh, have you looked at the second edition rules yet? You're going to see that your prep time is much reduced and much more fun and fast. This is something that it has in common with Starfinder. Like, just to use my example as making monsters. Like, making monsters in first edition could be a real challenge sometimes. It could be really labor-intensive. I made my first Starfinder monsters in like 15 minutes, right, while I was waiting for a pizza. So that that's carried through to second edition, and and so uh, we hear you. Other than other than argue, uh, pointing you to particular parts of the system, um, I've got actually a yeah, couple good. tools that I use because um, I I'm full time worker and then I'm full time freelancer yeah. and I have a side gig where I perform music and I'm practicing a lot. So time is very precious to me. Um, I have made a lot of use of some of the tools available like Hero Lab, yeah. um, like Fantasy Grounds, um, and uh, things like Condition Cards um, so that I have less to prep in advance and that I can streamline that prep process as fast as possible. Yep. Um, we've, we've, so got, we've started to take this opportunity to do a bunch of play aids. We're, starting, we're sort of brainstorming play aids to help you do that. Uh, and, and absolutely agreeing with what Liz was just saying and building off of that. Um, avail yourself of, of these tools that are out there. I, I resisted using Hero Lab for literally years. And then I had to write a Pathfinder AP and a Starfinder AP back to back. And, and I, I, don't have, I don't have the time. So I cracked open Hero Lab and, and now I swear by that thing. Like I, you, cannot get, you cannot pry it out of my fingers. Uh, it also depends um, on how much you want to prepare. Uh, if you're running something like mm. uh, Organized Play, Having everything prepared, having all your maps ready is kind of pivotal, especially because you have such a uh, you know, small time frame for that kind of stuff. And, but if it's something like your home game, if, even if you're running a, a pre-written adventure, an AP or what have you, um, knowing the gist of what's going on or what might be happening in that session might be all you really need to, to get going. If mm. they're about to go into a, you know, a grand ball and talk to some big noble NPC that's a, a big deal, Knowing that character's motivation and background might be all you need because it could be that you end up spending three hours of that session just role playing. Uh, and as long as you prepare what you think is enough and maybe a little beyond that, because you know players will always go beyond what you, you think, um, that that could be all you need. You don't have to take the time and have the entire AP ready to go at a moment's notice if you just have that particular section and. If you reach a point where you feel unprepared, it's fine to tell your players, hey, can I get five, ten minutes to get stuff ready? Or can we just call it a night and I'll get stuff ready for next time? That, that's totally fine. I, you know, ideally, your players are, are cool with that. Or you can even just, if you have a, something else that's been written before or used before, like a, you can use as a quick side quest to just fill the rest of the, the time. That, that's, that's a great way to, to do that as well. Did, did anyone here know the name Ray Winninger? Uh, he worked a lot on on D and D third edition, and he had a long column in Dragon Magazine back in the day about world building and preparation. And from him, I learned this incredibly valuable lesson, which is, don't prep anything that the players won't be able to see. 
right? So when he went to building a world, like where do you start? You start with a continent or start with a, no, you start with 20 miles around the town because that's as far as the players can get to in one day, right? And then I, they need to know where the nearest seventh level cleric is because that's where they get raised dead. And, and they need to have a place where they can buy stuff and then seed that 20 mile radius area with plot hooks and that will keep them busy while you plan the rest, right? Like don't, don't kill yourself on prep for stuff that you're not going to need next session. Next question. We've all had the uh, situation where first round of combat, the dice just go fluky. The bad guys ultra crit. Everyone fails their saves. Or vice versa, where the PCs walk in, ha, ah, super villain's supposed to be the campaign villain, and you triple crit him, and he's down to three hit points first round. Yeah. Do you have any tricks for extending the combat without it being obvious, like the bad guy has a stroke and forgets he has power attack? Uh, there's a few different ways. Um, it depends on the expectations of your group at that moment in time. Mm. If they have been waiting to beat up this bad guy for eight levels and you feel that that's really what they want is just finally put an end to this evil, winning round one can feel great because it's like we've been ready for this. We, we know what we've been wanting to do. Taking that away from players could be kind of a bad situation. I, I know you might have prepped a long time to get your, your you know, evil villain ready to go, but sometimes having players stomp over things feels great but in another situation uh, something that deals 300 damage in one turn and you know ideally something could be dead it turns out oh that was a projected image and the, the bad guy's actually behind the, the curtain and is now <laughs> at, still at full hit points and, and ready to go or even the oh yeah you beat that villain and then you know quickly throw together but it turns out that was just the true villain's lackey. There's always ways to keep things going and keep things interesting. Um, I mean, you can double hit points. You can do stuff like that as well. But I, I think finding more interesting ways to continue the story more so than a combat is, is the way to go, in my opinion. I like to think outside of combat a little bit, uh, or at least outside of combat motivations. Um, you know, if if this big, big bad villain is standing there and the characters walk in and just, like, start rolling over him... He's probably going to run away. He's got plans. He's, he doesn't want to get walloped here on the floor. So, you know, maybe you don't plan for him to run away to another more different secret hideout, but, but maybe that makes sense for him to do. Um, on the flip side, you know, maybe um, if, if the PCs all fail their saves and they're, uh, you know, down, um, you know, he's not necessarily going to leave them there to die. He might take them prisoner and, you know, have them healed so that he can do whatever your narrative plot demands. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility there um, to, to not necessarily fudge the rules, but to, to shape the story. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And it, I've had recent experiences with this, like in my group. My, the first, uh, first big adventure my Starfinder players were on, they just got, it was terrible. Like they were so, they got beat up really bad. And they, they really, it really impacted the group. Like they felt like they, they got kind of frustrated, like this is a new game and we we suck at it, and it was a real kind of downer for the campaign. And I started thinking back about it, like how do we fix that in the future? And um, and I, I used the, at first I was going to use this sort of capture idea, but I think now if I could go back and redo it, I would have had some kind of terrain environment situation stop the fight. This is the kind of thing that would happen in like a Star Wars movie, right? Like suddenly, like you know, there's an earthquake and the ground splits open, and the player, the, the heroes and the villains can't get at each other, something like that, or a cave in. In this case, the fight took place underground, so I could have done a cave in. And, and that would kind of force the fight to separate and the players could go off and they would still have been beaten, and they, but it wouldn't have been like, okay, we're going to take all of you prisoner and with that whole kind of situation. Um, but but it's, it's worth, it's, it's a really good question. And, and when, the bad, when the bad guy goes down too fast, that's, that's the easier problem to fix and this is great advice that you've been getting. But when the players go down quicker, that's, that's harder because the players know their own hit points. Right? We can just add hit points to the bad guy and the players don't know, but they know their own hit points. And, and especially if you roll your dice out in the open and they see that they just got hit and they're like, well, what are you going to do? He misses. Well, he, they all know that he shouldn't have missed. Right? So, um, but it, it is a real challenge and, and you're asking the right questions. And, and I would suggest, along with the advice that we've gotten here, is look at ways to kind of make the fight end through non-actions of the characters involved. Use terrain effects, environmental effects to end the fight. And we can always have somebody else show up and break up the fight, but that's kind of a, often, often a down or two. Yeah. Or just have the villain monologue way too long and give the PCs time to escape. Yeah, <laughs> monologue, exactly, yeah. Question from Tin for Lunch. 
What are some of your favorite ways to implement character backstory in the main campaign? Any that stand out from your past games? I love working with character backgrounds into NPC relationships. I really like giving my players, um, my, my players are very narratively driven. I'm very interested in um, interpersonal relationships in games. Um, so I really like to see what's in your background and how is that going to hook into the people that you meet along the adventure. So, you know, are you meeting a long lost mentor? Are you, do you have a missing sibling that could come back somewhere? Um, do you have, you know, or, or do you not have any relationships? Therefore, you have opportunity to build, you know, to sort of start over um, and develop new bonds with the, with the NPCs that are, or the other characters. Um, that's, that's really my favorite is to, to work on those interpersonal relationships. Uh, I like to encourage players to seed that in mid adventures or mid campaigns mm -hmm. on their own. If you are a former member of a thieves guild and it comes time to do the big heist to go steal the magic rod, you can suddenly you're, you, if you encourage your players enough, you, they can be like, Oh, hold on. Before we do this, I'm going to go talk to my lock picking buddy who has the greatest lock picking tools in, in the entire city. And suddenly their backstory is something they brought up themselves. Or you can do that with NPCs when, you know, you're walking around the docks and one of the dock workers says, Oh, Hey, old buddy, how you doing? Long time. No see since that last job and stuff like that to kind of encourage players to, Oh yeah. You're that guy I know. <laughs> this, this is the I know a guy. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know a guy. Um, yeah, if, if we ask these questions at the beginning of the campaign, when they're in character creation mode, then we can work this stuff into the story, right? So if I ask my players, okay, so like, who, who, have you got an enemy or something? Is there some rival or some antagonist that you've got? Well, then they're just writing my adventure for me, right? So, so you, can, you can totally build that stuff in, but you have to ask questions early. Keep your ears out for players that are shy and reluctant to speak up, and they'll often pose this as a question. Like, rather than saying, I'm going to go visit my favorite lockpick guy, they're going to say, do I know anyone in town, right? And it's because they're not really sure if they can do that. They don't know if the game allows them to ask that question. And of course, obviously, our answer is yes, right? So then we have to say, well, yeah, you do. You totally do. And then we can pull out from our, our huge stock of past NPCs and give them some interesting characters give them like two or three options. Yeah, you know a few people and then let them pick the one that they like the best. Let them pick the one that they think is cool. Remember, you will never know what your players are gonna find cool. You will spend hours and hours on cool NPCs and they will walk right by them. And then they'll pick on that goblin bartender, right? And that, <laughs> that you invented on the spur of the moment. So keep your ears open and build those characters in and it all becomes very spontaneous. That actually kind of relates to what I'm about to ask about yeah. things that players find cool. Yeah. So uh, one of my, and thank you for doing this, by the way. Oh, happy to. Um, one of the, the struggles that I have as a GM, besides not knowing any of the rules, is the fact that I, so my players for the AP that I'm running right now, they, when we get into combat, they tend to treat it like a, like it's like a war game scenario yes. all of a sudden. Like it gets very tactical. Yes. And they're all talking about like granular things, like the way that they're going to do their five foot steps and yep. stuff like that. And I'm like, are you sure you don't want to know more about what's under the sewers of Old Corvosa? Like, yeah. super flowery and stuff like that. Because uh, that's just tend to be what I focus more on, is like the flavor and stuff like that. Yeah. And I don't get into the whole, like, oh, if I do this one specific ability that this one monster has, mm -hmm. like, I'm going to get them. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't really think about stuff like mm -hmm. that. So I guess what I'm asking is, like, since they're my players, mm -hmm. should I try to lean in more towards the things that they want and try to learn more of that stuff? Or, like, how can I creatively insert the things that I may be better at to try to enhance the experience for them. Well, you sort of answered your own question, right? I mean, yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah <laughs> you're, ultimately our, our role is kind of host of the party. So if that's what your guests are into, then yeah, you kind of, we do kind of need to lean into it a little bit. But you also have to get your own personal rewards out of the game too, right? I mean, GMing is a lot of work. You put a lot of time involved into it. You, you, you got to get some kind of artistic response and satisfaction out of it as well, right? Pathfinder is a very tactical-oriented game. A lot of the people that play Pathfinder, that's what they want to do. Like that, the, finding the perfect feet combo to make their character really shine. That's they they live for that stuff. You're looking at your players right now, aren't you? <laughs> no, but I, maybe I may as well. Yeah, yeah. So they they love that. You don't have to love it, but you have to let them love it, right? You have to give them opportunities to love it. And when you give them a bad guy that they are able to cut loose on their three feet combo on, they're gonna love the hell out of you for that, right? So bask in that. Indulge, indulge them. Then give them the sewer 
to Carbosa, right? G- give them all that stuff. Yeah, I, I want to build on that. Yeah, when you when you do give them that, you know, okay, now and now you're in the sewers because you beat the Odiog <laughs> that's blocking the way. Reward them for exploring what you right. like. Um, so make sure that they are getting those hooks, or they're getting more interesting tactical combat options, so that they, you're sort of. Um, training them to engage in the pieces of the story that you are enjoying. Yeah, you're going to get a lot more flies with honey than vinegar. Right? So, yeah, just uh, another approach you can take is to have them, force them to go through your stuff before they get to the fight. Uh, <laughs> if the Odiog that broke free in the Corvosan streets and made a big deal, now your players are like, oh, we got to go clear out the sewers because they're, they're a mess. Well, finding an Odiog nest may not be the easiest thing, and they have to learn how the sewer system works and what's living down there and maybe even ask questions of the other denizens if there's, you know, an imp living down there and stuff like that. And that's when you can start getting that information out and maybe even start teasing things like, oh, well, we know the Odiog nest is overrun with giant flies and maggots, so getting in a fight there might be bad, and you start learning ways to like maybe even ambush the Odiag and things like that or you know whatever the, the creature might be or the, the enemies might be getting that information that then becomes useful tactical knowledge will encourage them to maybe seek that out again in the future if we have to raid the castle learning the layout of the castle first might be better off than just kind of storming in and getting overrun by all the guards so the tactical fight is like the carrot at the end of the stick yes. right and they're chasing yeah. <laughs> thank you welcome Uh, you had mentioned earlier about how you have a smaller group, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of a two-part question. What about larger groups? Uh, sometimes it is possible that you get maybe too many in your group, mm-hmm. and of course you don't want to turn anyone away. And then also with that same situation, there will be times when maybe John can't make it that night. Uh, so just some tips on how to handle those situations. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this is the thing I have a lot of experience with. Um, when I when I lived in Columbus, I had a very large number of gamers who were at my house all the time, um, and it was it was often too many to realistically run one table with. And so um, we set up we 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 ended up talking with the with the folks about who was really interested in doing a regular thing, who was willing to commit that time to it, and who was interested in a specific theme. And we kind of carved those off and had them run an adventure path. Um, and said, okay, this is your regular game on Tuesday nights. And then for the people who, you know, when John can't be there every week but wants to come in every once in a while, um, we ran one-off pickup games. We actually used um, Pathfinder Society scenarios um, and would just say, like, you know, we're going to have a Friday night game. Whoever's there, show up, um, and and then we'll run through something. And so the people from the regular campaign could come um, and, and join in, and other people who wanted to show up could and in the rare occasion that we ended up with like eight or nine people, we would actually just split off into two tables, put one group in the living room, one group in the dining room, um, and run run two tables at the same adventure. So um, those are those are solutions I have found that kind of met the needs of the larger spectrum. You could also, if you have enough people, break things. Also, if you have the time to do this or, or the, the capacity to do this, break it up into two separate groups that run on different nights. Okay, I have nine people here, I'll run four of you on Wednesday and the other five on Saturday, stuff like that. Um, Or maybe even encourage one of the people that is part of this group, hey, do you want to run the other group? (laughs) That's a a great thing to do. Uh, For larger groups, when someone is missing, if it's a large enough group, I actually run uh, Return of the Rune Lords at at the Paizo offices, and there are enough people that if one person is missing because they're at a con or whatever the case might be, they can still keep adventuring just fine. Uh, it just turns out, oh, your character is uh, tending to the pack mule and making sure all the treasure is getting put back or ran to town to get potions or it's in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's very easy to just, oh, they went off screen for a bit and then they came back later and you know things keep switching in and out. Pathfinder Society is perfect for that because no one person has to be there for every single uh, a scenario that shows up uh, and way back in uh, our artifacts artifacts and legends campaign setting book we proposed like a meta game artifact where everyone has been infused with this powerful shard that mm-hmm. of destiny that calls you off to parallel dimensions when you're to go do other stuff which is just the explanation as to why you're not here right now it's because you're fighting the good fight in some other world that you know there's different ways to write people out without kind of Bring everything to a screeching halt. So uh, I use the dungeon flu, 
which is a, a <laughs> which is sort of like malaria in in my setting. So it's like this communicable minor disease that sort of flares up once in a while and it lays you flat for 24, 48 hours. And it's it, what's that? Yeah, concrete. <laughs> and it, and it's spread. It's very you know spreads throughout dungeons. So as soon as you're like first level, you go into first dungeon, you get dungeon flu, but it just it's dormant until you don't show up and then, <laughs> then, then, it, then it appears. But no, more seriously, um, I actually have decided uh, over a long period, I, I did indulge a lot of large groups for a long time, and, and I've had like seven, eight, nine players. Uh, my record is 16 players at one table. Ugh. I know. That's a big table. That's it, a physically it, very large table. It, it was a, it, 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 yeah, <laughs> it's a long story. But, um, but now I, I've decided, and maybe this is my professor background, for, before I came to Paizo, I was a college professor. And class sizes can get really large, and what happens is it's bad for the students themselves. They, they start to not get as much out of the class when the class size gets big. And so I started to realize that I'm not actually doing my players any favors by allowing that many people to play. It's, they're not going to get the game that they want. And so I, I've had to put them on a wait list, right? And attrition is real. Like, people eventually drop out of the game, and it might take six months or eight months or 12 months where somebody joins the army or gets a new job or whatever. But, but capping the game at like five or six people, I, for me, that, that's the best thing to do. And obviously you have to be really nice about it. You have to be really courteous. Like I, I'm so flattered you want to play. I would love to have you. I'm full. But I, if you'll let me put your name on my list, as soon as somebody drops out, I would love to have you. I, it's nothing, my, my only exception to that is significant others are always welcome. Right? So if it's your partner, okay, you can join. But otherwise, I got to put you on the wait list, and that's because otherwise nobody shows up, right? Like I have to, if I get the significant other, I can get both of them. But if I only get one or the other, then I get zero. Right? I have a question from Kitsune Warlock. Do you do secret roles in advance when you prep? Hmm, I have done some. I uh, yeah, I do, especially um, watching a person in a. Um, organized play shirt as i'm saying this i do it a lot when i'm prepping for organized play scenarios just because keeping a six-person table moving in a locked down time slot is really challenging so um yeah i i do sometimes um it keeps the table action moving faster um and there's less of my players wondering like what's going on over there and then they get restless and wander off and start playing on their phones uh i don't do too many secret roles generally and when i do i cheat uh <laughs> so a lot of the time what i will end up doing is if it's a secret role like my, my players don't know what is a secret role so sometimes i'll just I'll make a perception role make a will save whatever uh and based on how i'm feeling about you know, the current session the story how things are playing out what i think might be more interesting i just have them make a role and then already have decided <laughs> no one of you is going to be haunted one of you will become possessed it, it just it, it will be more interesting for a bit or you have the resources to take on the the, the enemies that you kind of trigger the trap and, and alert them for uh, if that's your play style that's fine i don't really recommend that for everybody um but um sometimes what you can do is just ask players for some of those roles yeah. way in advance <laughs> hey can i get a couple perception roles that's the thing that a lot of uh organized play people do can i get a couple of perception roles now and then as time goes on when it comes time to do secret roles i just look down what's been written oh they got a 15 a 26 a three that's a really great tool if you're running a horror game because then people don't know what they're looking for and they don't know when they've missed it yeah, and, and at any time when you need that role it's like okay time to use the next will save it's four scratch it off possession time <laughs> Yeah, uh, my short answer is yes. Uh, and and like, like my colleagues up here have said, a lot of it is about sort of trust between the players and the GM. So if the players trust you to make rolls behind your screen, then they probably trust you to just decide what happens, right? And you roll the dice so that they don't, you know, so there's still that sort of plausibility there. But yeah, half the time I've already decided what I want to happen. And I'm just rolling to see who it happens to. <laughs> um, yes, so I was wondering um, how best do you deal with uh, players who insist on kind of prolonging um, encounters by unnecessarily switching weapons or kind of just deciding that they're going to hang back and not contribute by un like just deciding to like spam guidance or not using their spells. Mm -hmm. So this is a, absolutely does happen where it we does. have players, often because they feel frustrated at the table 
or because they feel like, quote, I don't know what I can do, or I don't, I can't do anything. When a player says, I can't do anything, it's, it's, it's really asking the GM, like, I, I feel like you've created a scenario in which my abilities are useless. And it's really hard sometimes to address that. It's really a personal personality at the table kind of thing. And you have to know your players and you all have to kind of be on the same page. It, it, it can be a real challenge, especially if you have new people that you don't know very well. Um, I, I, I tend to just let the, if that's what the player wants to do, I'm not going to try to pull them out of it. I'm going to let them, okay, and we're gonna, I'm going to go on to the next player and I'm going to try to move as fast as I can. And, I, and usually the other players understand what's happening. So if one of the players is like refusing to in, get involved and sort of standing back and it makes everything harder, or makes everything take longer, the other players also begin to resent the, that player. And so you have to defuse that real fast. And you have to get everybody kind of positive and say, okay, like, all right, you, we, I know what you're doing, move on. And, uh, and, and you, can, you can kind of unspoken get everybody on the same page to like, okay, let's get through this as fast as possible because we just kind of have this challenge here. Yeah. Um, you, you can, um, if, if you know enough about the player to, to adapt on the fly, um, say you have that cleric um, and they feel like they don't have anything yeah. they can, and maybe they don't have anything they can do in that particular situation. Yeah. Um, depending on the context, is there anything you can do to the encounter to change it so that there yeah. is something they can engage with? Maybe another creature comes out that's more of something that they can that mm -hmm. they can target. Maybe the bad guy goes straight at them and they have to engage in another way. Um, the the only caution I would have there is if they are. Um, I, I have a player in my regular game who gets who gets frustrated. Um, because they feel like they um, because they don't know the game super well and so they get overwhelmed mm -hmm. by options and so they just like, kind of shut down. Um, and so that's one where it can it can you know pay to take a second and say hey what's going on like you're frustrated what can I help with like mm -hmm. how can we how can we address that now depends on the context is that going to fly at an organized play table like maybe maybe not depends yeah. on the players. They're but. organized play tables. Yeah, and he's um, a regular. Yeah, I mean, if, if he's regular in doing that, that mm -hmm. might be a time for an off-the-table conversation yeah, to totally say, agree. you seem really frustrated, what can we do to help? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, kind of, like pin him down about it. And if it's an ongoing issue, maybe it's something that you can help him address or that we can, you know, that you can, that we can help address. I don't know. Um, but even if you're just calling him out on it a little bit, not in front of other players, just one-on-one, -on -one, like, you know, what can we do to make this more fun for you and for everybody? Okay. Those are all good. I don't have much to agree on that. So. Okay. Thank you. Presume the best, but but prep for the worst. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank good you. Luck. Thank you. I am very fortunate to have the problem that I have. Um, <laughs> all my players want to buy me ice cream all the time. Oh my Should god, this is a great <laughs> problem. Except, XP for everybody. Uh, <laughs> except for one of my players, they're all geniuses, and half of the geniuses are retired military intelligence oh. <laughs> okay so yep okay they're very smart tactically uh -huh. they're very good at building competent characters yes. and when it comes to investigating things yes. they know exactly what they're doing and how to do it yes without cheating yes how do you handle uh a group like that uh i think there's a few things here um your players may know a lot do their characters know this stuff uh, you want to make sure you remind them of things like that. It it could be that your your player is you know great physicist and knows all this stuff, and he's playing the barbarian. Does the barbarian know all this stuff? You know th things like that. Try to keep that rigid player knowledge and and character knowledge separation is very important. Another thing you can do is just throw them for a loop by twisting one or two things. Uh, if you take a troll and suddenly change it to some weird rock monster. We'll call it a growl. A growl. <laughs> uh, big rock monster that kind of comes up out of the earth and uses the exact same stats as a troll. It still has regeneration and still shut down by fire and acid, but it's described a completely different way. You don't show them a troll picture and you know it, it seems to fight in a particular manner. You say, oh, it kind of punches forward and like a rock flies out and it's still a melee attack and it does the same damage, but it's suddenly a different thing and they're not used to seeing that all that player knowledge suddenly goes out the window even though it's the exact same thing they then have to take the time to do knowledge roles and, and, mm -hmm. and play out the fight and start figuring things out so, so doing some of that can can help alleviate the issues here and there but also once in a while like you don't want to be doing this every single time let, let your players be smart and have fun with with what they're doing here and there just 
not to a degree where just they win every single time. That's not always as fun. So although actually, up. that's that's a legit question. Are they enjoying it? A little. <laughs> a little. But you're getting the feeling like they want a little more challenge out of it. Yeah. But they have really good reasons for This is in my background. I don't have this in the backstory. Yeah. So mm -hmm. then I would say take them out of their element. Um, you know, they, they should know this and, and know this. Okay, great. That works where you are now. How does that work on the bottom of the ocean? Um, so, you know, there's, there's always things you can do to, to, to change up what's going on to, uh, to, to put them in a new environment. You don't want to come, come back and say, ha-ha, I've foiled you, now you don't know things. But kind of encourage them to say, oh, this is different, let's see what's going on here. Yeah, so to play on, off of what um, the others have already said, and this is good advice uh, that, that we're already getting. You remember the end of The Matrix, the first movie? Mm -hmm. Like Neo basically becomes like the master of the Matrix. Like he's Superman. He, he's Superman. Mm -hmm. But by the second movie, suddenly he's not Superman. I mean, he can still fly, but he's not like the master of everything anymore, right? And the reason why is because he doesn't understand things. The, the script writers understood that the only way Neo was still uh, was still manageable as a character is if he did not understand what was going on. As soon as he understands things, he's Superman again, right? So this is the thing: make give the players things that they don't understand, and then figuring them out becomes their empowerment process. And my second bit of advice is, is lock some of this information, not behind skill roles, but behind role play. So that it doesn't matter how, how good their, their die roll is, if they can't convince the snitch to help them, they don't get the info, right? And that forces them to do stuff that maybe you're going to enjoy more, which is more of that role play, that interaction stuff. Uh, one other thing is you could have someone who's smarter than them show up if there's a <laughs> if there's been a wizard that's been scrying on them forever and knows every one of their tactics and has a minion that is you know oh i'm immune to all slashing damage and i know this guy fights with a sword yeah. all the time too yeah. bad he's the one i'm gonna sick on you things like that throwing them off their game for a bit and then you know that can be a, a, a heck of a, a roadblock that then becomes a fun challenge to overcome this guy beat us so much last time he whooped our butts now we we got to get him you know, so and again, don't do that every single time. Yeah, there's always fun. someone cleverer than yourself. I have a question from TRDG11. What is an unusual way to introduce the party members to each other? Ooh. Ooh. Um. Uh, I, <laughs> okay. uh, I like to do so in media res. Uh, okay, first session, let's sit down. Roll for initiative. You're already fighting. You don't know why. You don't know what's going on. You just know that suddenly the city's on fire and you're all surrounded by a, a, a pack of hellhounds. You go, and then as things go, yeah. we will start figuring out. And soon enough, you can maybe throw in some vignettes. Okay, and then uh, you go to attack and the fighter swings in and blocks their shield. And you remember, oh, that's what we learned back in military training. And now we're, you know, we have a backstory together. Or start letting players sort that out on their own. That's way better than I was going to say. I absolutely <laughs> love the beginning of the Strange Aeon's Adventure Path, where all of the characters wake up with amnesia. Yeah. Which uh, is it's effectively the same thing. You don't know where you came from. You don't know where you came from or how you got there. You're so. just in a dungeon with no stuff. Yeah. So I, I know we're all here on the Paizo panel, but I do play other games. And one, <laughs> and one of the other games I play is Fate. And Fate has this great character creation conceit where as you are making your character... You pass your character sheet to another player, and they decide a story that you were in with their character. Mm -hmm. And you do this twice. So the point of it is, is that at the beginning of the game, you don't know everyone in your group, but you have at least some connection to two other people. And so everybody kind of connects to each other already, and it's a way for us to sort of create this shared background. Mm -hmm. And it does require some uh, session zero. You have to have some time to do that. Um, but I, I've become totally convinced that session zeros are the way to go I'm, for ongoing yeah, I will second that. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, um, in, in my own games, we have extensive session zeros to really hash out who, who characters are and how they know each other and, and what's going on there. It's, yeah, that's, let, that's my preferred way. Let the players have a voice in how they all know each other. Like maybe, like one of my players decided to create a detective agency and he basically hired all of the other player characters. Gold star. Like, take, take experience points. Uh, also, Everyone is locked up in a prison at the beginning. That's fine. Oh, yeah. We've got to break out together. Uh, we're getting close to running out of time here, so right. I think we're going to try to answer these a bit quicker. A little bit quicker. All yep. right. Speed mode. 
All right, so I'll try and read fast. So basically, if you have a character uh, in your game that has invested a lot into a very centralized strategy, mm -hmm. where they like a very like mounted charge focus build or something, mm. um, how can you encourage them to be more creative with their play without necessarily crippling the thing that they really mm. built their whole character around? Yeah, cavalier problem. <laughs> mm. um, give it to them. Let them do it. Uh, but have a mentor NPC in the game talk to the character in character and say, ah, you are a great warrior, Sir Thorvald, right? And you, but you cannot bring your horse into the dungeon. Right? Maybe you should think about that. And then try to slowly nurse them off of it. Like maybe they can use their horses in almost every encounter in the first adventure, but then maybe only half of the encounters in the second adventure, you know? And then well, you're going to go into a dungeon and you've had time to level up, so it's time to think about what you're going to get that's not on a horse, right? And, and I, I would use NPCs to do that because sometimes it can come off less authoritative. It's not like the GM lecturing you. It's a character that the player character respects and then giving them. Next. Oh yeah, just one more for me. So I'm, uh, I'm prepping um, a new AP that has a lot of NPCs. Which one? It. Wrath of the Righteous. All right. Oh yes. <laughs> I'm trying to convert it. Um, that, so, yeah, in Wrath of the Righteous, it has, like, this character says this at this time, and they have this motivations, and they're from this place, mm. and they talk to this person like this. And that blows my head up. Like, that's so much to keep in track. <laughs> so, like, how, like, what are good, easy strategies at your table to keep track of that kind of stuff? I mean, you can make notes for yourself, little note cards that say, this is this NPC, <laughs> uh, generic information about them. Uh, I, I like to have little flashcards where I put the artwork in, like, have that here on hand to also show players, oh, this is who you meet. Uh, also, it, there are places where here and there you might say, oh, actually, I don't need this NPC. This already existing NPC might fill that same role, where it's like, oh, we need an escort to such and such town. You meet so-and-so. Oh, no. Well, I can just say that that first NPC they met is also from that town, and yeah. they'll also be the escort, and that'll just save me the time of having to learn another NPC. Absolutely. My players are allergic to role play. <laughs> what can I do to trick them into getting into character more? They, they do know it's a role playing game. I have tried to explain that. I'm sorry. I, just, I took the cheap shot. I'm sorry. Um, I think we've actually a couple of ideas that have been kicked around already kind of kind of um, bring some light on that. Things like um, thinking of it in carrots and sticks, um, encouraging them to, well, if you want to get to the big tactical fight, you have to figure out where it is. So you're going to have to talk to some people about it. Um, and, 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 you know, incentivizing that and making those, in, those um, experiences engaging and rewarding and then, and then letting them have what they're, what they're finding the fun in, 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 those, in those tactical encounters. I would give them some good models. Um, in other words, you need to role play, right, uh, a, a lot. Don't get your, it's going to take a long time. They're, gonna get, they're not going to do it. They're not going to respond. You need to keep doing it. And then think about, see if, see if you can get a ringer into your group. See if you can go out and recruit a player who you know role plays and bring them in as a ringer to, to role play with that person specifically during the game. Right? See if you can give them a good model to work off of. If, if, you, if you have a favorite podcast where they do that, that you like. Just mention that you like it. Yeah, just mention that you like it. Like, hey, hey I've been really enjoying this for a while. You should yeah, check yeah, it out. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, but it's going to take a long time. But, but you can do it with patience. You can also have the world demand that they role play. If an NPC comes up and says, ah, blah, 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 what do you think, fair knight? And mm. then suddenly the NPC is talking to them and they have to respond in some way. But also know that some players just have trouble with like they do. being in character they do. and they might prefer to say, oh, well, my character says, or I say this and that, or give you the gist and of things. And that's okay too. Yeah, narrating is still role playing. Like saying my character does X is still role play. It's just not first person, right? So let, 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 try to let, let, them, let them take baby steps if that's what you're I have a two-parter from Templar's Knight. We move in initiative order through rooms in the dungeon, and this leads to room effects and traps, etc., often only hitting the first person who enters that area of the room. Mm -hmm. Should we see a change in the rules for group movement through encounters? Because the problem I have is that the encounter often only hits one person, mm -hmm. and I don't know how I can handle it better. Hmm. Exploration mode. Yeah, second edition Pathfinder has three modes of play, um, encounter mode, exploration mode, and downtime mode. Downtime mode is when you're not doing anything, but um, the transition between exploration and encounter mode is designed exactly to tackle that kind of a problem. 
Um, so as the, the very quick version, um, in, in, count, in exploration mode, you're not in initiative order, um, but you're all, taking un, you're all undertaking an exploration activity. You might be sneaking. Um, you might be um, keeping a watch out for traps. You might be casting detect magic so you can see what's around you. Um, and that lets you move into the room as a group, but still have things like monsters and hazards and effects um, react to the party as a whole and not just spam the one person who happened to roll highest on that first initiative roll. Um, and then once that does happen, bam, then you're in initiative, yeah. roll for initiative, and move into encounter mode. Yeah, that's the transition from encounter or from exploration mode to encounter mode is rolling initiative. I don't think you need to be moving in initiative order from room to room. I think that's kind of designed to be something that happens after whatever you, is in the room you have discovered. So let players talk and respond more organically. I, mean, I wouldn't hold it to initiative track. It, it, I mean, if that's also how you want to play, you know, feel free to stick sure. to that. But one other thing that can happen is if the rogue walks in first, sets off the trap, it could be that you know, this pit trap, even if the rogue avoids it and doesn't fall in, all the timber falling down is really loud, and just the other room over, all the kobolds hear it and start rushing in. And even though the rogue only encountered that trap, suddenly everyone is now involved with the kobolds rushing wow. in and doing that fight. It, I mean, every room is not a perfectly isolated vacuum. Other stuff happens around it, and, and it can trigger things yeah. throughout the, the dungeon that in, in turn then involves everyone. Yeah. Um, we've got time for one last question. If anybody's, yeah, come on up. I like to do things for immersion, like uh, Serenscape for sound, and um, I've done like tea dyeing of pieces of paper to make old maps and stuff. Yes. Is there anything that you guys do that um, You're the to best. Can engage I all the senses? <laughs> <That sounds cool. laughs> um, I, I love making stuff for my players. Um, so I'm playing Hell's Rebels right now, so they got invited to this big fancy ruby masquerade ball. So I made invitations with wax mm. seals on them. Um, I've got I've got stamps for the city of Cantargo. Um, and then, and then I went full out, and I built a three-dimensional model of the Cantargo Opera House for them to play on <laughs> instead of just a flat mat. So I totally, I'm totally there with you. I love it. I love Sirenscape. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for stuff. The, although the one I will not do are the smells. You can get like the canned scents. I won't go there. I will, I will not <laughs> unleash that on my players. Uh. Well, that one-ups me already. Uh, I also ran <laughs> Hell's Rebels and did a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I So that has a bunch of proclamations that come down from House Thrun. I had a custom wax seal of House Thrun that presses the, the Chalaxian symbol into the seal that says, this is an official document. Can I borrow that? <laughs> yes, I got to track that down. Um, and you know, stuff like that. But it could even be, I mean, not every... GM has the time to do all that kind of stuff or the money sometimes even uh, for that. Just even like little things like dimming the lights can help that kind of stuff. Uh, one thing I've seen mentioned before as just like the perfect GM prop is a jacket that you keep on your, that you can then use as a cloak or to cover your hood and, and you know, and for, for, for various purposes just for role playing to like accentuate your movements and stuff. So, oh, the, the big... Uh, vampire shows up and oh, opens his cloak and vamp and then a bunch of bats come out. You know, stuff like little things like that can can help out. Uh, Sirenscape is great. I like to use a lot of music, so using moving soundtrack, movie soundtracks that have that kind of theme that you're looking for. Or video game soundtracks are great to keep on loop because that's what they're, that's designed, what they're for. designed for. So. Oh yeah. no, you guys put me to shame. I'm keeping. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or, that was a or, that was a great last great yeah. last question. Okay. Uh, Thanks, you guys, great group of questions. Thanks so much for asking. Thanks for everybody out there watching on Twitch. I hope you enjoyed the Thank panel. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest Super of your Gen fun. Con. And welcome back to Gen Con 2019. This is Param from the No Direction Network, and I am here with Liz Lado. Hello. How's it going? You have just been giving us a wealth of GM advice. That's what we've been trying to do. So how long have you been GMing yourself? You know, spoilers, I've actually only been GMing for about three years. I started GMing when uh, we needed a couple of extra GMs right here at Gen Con for the organized play specials. And so I said, I, I can, sure, I know these games, I can do that. And uh, oh, that was learning experience, um, but I loved it. And so I've come back to Gen Con as a GM several years since. I've started running my own campaigns, and it's just been a blast. I have learned so much. Yeah. Now, you, how, you must have GM dozens of systems over the years. How do you feel that 
the new Pathfinder 2 is making lives easier on GLs. So I, I'm a big fan of Pathfinder 2nd Edition for exactly this reason, because it's a game that's just so easy to teach and to mm-hmm. play, and that goes for GMs too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to cut down on prep time, uh, especially with things like monster creation right. and encounter creation, um, just because the whole system is so streamlined. Uh, it also plays faster at the table, so if you have newer players, um, there's uh, less of a learning curve for those players, mm-hmm. and it's easier to help those players and all board them so that they can feel confident in what they're playing um, and have the tools that they need to really engage with the game and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And you're also a big fan of Starfinder. I'm a big fan of Starfinder. You were Starfinder's first cosplayer. I was, in fact, yes. I, I cheated a little bit. I got to work on the Starfinder Core rulebook, and right. so I saw it before it came out. And uh, and I said on a whim, you know what, let me do a costume from this book. And so we, we put together a set of stewards' armor right. um, from the write-up of the stewards um, in the organization section of that book, and I was able to wear that on the first day of Gen Con at the launch of Starfinder. That was fantastic costume. It, it was thank amazing. You. Thank you. So, what do you think that... Some of the unique aspects that a GM has when GMing Starfinder over a traditional fantasy. Oh man, Starfinder is just so fun. It's such, uh, you know, we really take science, fantasy, and uh, and and embrace all of the zany, wacky, ridiculous things that you can do when you have magic in space, and it's just a blast. Um, So PCs are always going to do kind of wacky, random, fun, crazy things, and Starfinder really makes it possible to turn that up to 11 and just really reward players for having fun and doing fun stuff. Now, as a veteran GM, and definitely one that I have loved listening to your advice for, are people watching at Twitch at home that want, have listened to your advice and want to take their games up to the next level, what resources are out there that you would recommend they look into? If you're not using uh, tools to help make your life as a GM easier, I'd say you really should check them out. Um, things like, I'm going to speak from Pathfinder for a minute, okay. but things like Hero Lab, um, things like Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds, right. um, and player aids like spell cards, condition cards, um, are just going to make the play, the technical sides of the play experience smoother and faster, and that's going to make your game more fun, and it's going to make it more fun for the players because we're focusing on playing and not so much focusing on fiddling with pieces. Excellent. Yeah, and with those sorts of tools, I know Zo provides quite a many of them. We're partnered with several people to provide them. It does make the game a lot less stressful at the table. Yeah, absolutely. And so, that's and that's the goal of them. I've been having a great con. Yeah, I've been having a wonderful con. I've been having a blast. What's some of the highlights for you so far? Uh, well, so actually, this is my first con working as a Paizo employee. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been that's been really fun. Um, but also because we're launching Pathfinder 2nd Edition, and that's a product that I really worked very hard on. I'm really very proud of it. Seeing it out here and getting it in the hands of players who are able to, to get into the final system and really enjoy it and engage with it has just been a re- phenomenally rewarding experience. So what can we look forward to seeing you will you be on any more panels um, this is my last panel for this con okay. uh, but I hang out on Twitter all the time I'm at Liz May tweet okay. and uh, I'll be here through the whole con you'll see me around and that's a Twitter account you all are going to want to follow thank you so much we will be getting into our next panel here in just a few moments which will be making it's called making your first uh, Pathfinder character but for those of you who have joined us for the previous panel this will be making your second <laughs> Um, and to be clear, that's the uh, that's a second edition character. Yes, second edition character. That's coming up in just a minute. And then after that, we have the big preview 2019 and beyond panel. And you're definitely going to want to check yeah. that out. And that's several more all panels. of our juicy announcements. And several more panels for the rest of the day, as well as tomorrow. So please hang in there with us. And we hope that you feel like you've heard Gen Con, whether you're standing in line for your next game or you're sitting at home much more comfy than we are, enjoying snacks much better than the ones we're eating. Had much cheaper. Wait a minute. I think I should have been at home. It's got some advantages. All right, everyone. So remember, we con when you can't. And that was part of No Direction's 2019 Gen Con seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. If you'd like to find more great content like this, go to nodirectionpodcast.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making content like this possible. If you'd like to support the network and see that future content is created, you can do so at patreon.com slash nodirection, or click on the Patreon link at nodirectionpodcast.com.